We've got a big show for you today. We start off discussing everything surrounding Yomif Kajelcha's new world record in the indoor mile, including audio from America's newest sub-350 miler, Johnny Grigoric. Then we go across the pond for a little European indoor talk and the amazing Laura Muir. We keep traveling around the globe for Tokyo Marathon Talk with a Let's Run.com first audio from Wee Joe's wife, plus a preview of NCAA Indoors. And at the end of the show, we really go into the deep end and delve into transgender sport, whether we need to stop using the word scalp, and we even have an update for you on John's dating life. Before we get started, today's podcast is sponsored by Floyd's of Leadville. If you haven't tried CBD products for recovery yet, you need to go to floydsofleadville.com and use code LRMAR to save 10% off your first order. Floyd's has certified organic CBD products and shares its testing results on its website. Use code LRMAR, that's M-A-R as in March, to save 10% off. All right, let's get started. Now it's all about the mile record. 348.45. Hisham El-Garouche has the record since 1997. And the record is no more. Thank you, Paul Swangard, on the Runner's Place USATF Plus call of the race. The third time was the charm for Yomif Kajelcha, as he is now the world record holder in the mile, 347.01. Guys, where do we want to begin? Kajelcha's world record in the mile or Johnny Manziel's wife's course cutting? Which one got more page views this week? I guess that's a good question. I left off the intros. That's Let's Run.com staff writer Jonathan Galt. I'm LRC founder Weldon Johnson. And we're joined also by the one and only Rojo. The author of the Brie Manziel piece, the ex- investigative journalism, I think we're probably counting the message boards and the actual article close to 100,000 page views. This, this article has gone viral, front page of Yahoo News. It's really a career accomplishment for me. John may be covering indoor world records. I'm covering stories that people want to read. <laughs> All jokes aside, I mean, a 347, yeah, no, it was it was awesome. That's that's the story of the weekend for me. I guess, you know, Euro indoors was pretty exciting as well. We had the Tokyo Marathon. Maybe a little biased because it happened in Boston. It was only about two miles from my apartment down at that uh, launching pad, the ridiculously fast Boston University track. But yeah, I mean, he broke it. I think... Going in, my prediction was that he was going to break the mile world record and not the 1500. That's exactly what happened. I think, you know, maybe a, some sort of raise is in order or a bonus for that prediction. It was pretty, pretty good. You know, a super exciting race. And I don't know, what was your guys' verdict uh, watching from afar? Jonathan, I wanted to raise myself because I also said it was stupid for Salazar to go for both world records in the same race because I said that wasn't possible. And I was also proven correct. So you and I are both geniuses. I think raises are, are in order. We can reduce Weldon's salary. <laughs> Two beats one, Weldon. Hey, I'm the guy who actually knows where the bank accounts are and that sort of stuff. So good luck on that one. For me watching just on you know my computer, I was really impressed with it. I thought they were way behind at the beginning. And even though pretty much the mile record was, they were always on pace for that. But I knew they were a little bit behind the goal pace they had talked about. And I was shocked. He got, he got pretty close to the 1500 record and missed that by, I think, what, 0.3? 0.21. Point two one, and he's crushed the mile record. 
so it, it was great. I mean, it doesn't, you know, we can talk about what does it mean, but this whole indoor season was made so much more interesting because of this record chase by Kajelcha. So it was good to see him get it. I didn't want to see him miss it again. And after Melrose, I thought he's going to get it for sure. I think we we're all in agreement on that. I mean, I guess you should never say for sure about a world record. It's kind of crazy that we're talking like that, but great run, great day. I'm kind of curious, John, like about the atmosphere. It looked pretty good to me on TV. And also, uh, here's another question. Why don't they have the New Balance Grand Prix in, at the at that arena? It seems like it can seat more people even. The seating might be around the same. I mean, Reggie, Reggie Lewis, you can pull out the bleachers though, Reggie Lewis. You might be able to fit more people in because they're just benches as opposed to um, individual seats. But my guess is probably the TV setup, like for an NBC broadcast, that sort of thing. My guess is that's just better. And then some of the field events as well, maybe it's just easier. I mean, I, I haven't thought through it, but... I think Reggie is probably just better for hosting, you know, for TV broadcasts, that sort of thing. But that, that's just sort of my random guess. The atmosphere was good, though. Um, they had just had the IC4A meet was that afternoon. And there was a decent amount of there was a decent amount of people filing out of the arena as I was getting in there, which is kind of disappointing to me. You know, it would be nice to see. The, and some of them are big schools. It's a Sunday afternoon. They're, you know, from all over the East Coast. They've got to make a trip back. I get that. But. At the same time, that was kind of a bummer not to see them stick around. But the people who did, there was a decent amount of people who came just for the race. You know, I recognized a bunch. Most of the people I knew in the Boston running community came out to watch. And the Boston running community is a pretty good one. So I would say in terms of like seats, the seats were only, the stands were only maybe half full, but there was like a lot of people who had lined up on sort of the balconies and just ringing around the track. So the, the noise generated was good. Everyone was really into it. Everyone wanted to see Kajelcha get the record. They knew it was at stake. So it was definitely a, a worthy atmosphere. I don't think it was as great as the atmosphere for Edward Cheserex 349 last year because that one came on a Friday night at Terrier Invitational where there were a lot of college kids still there competing. It was in the middle of the meet. So that was pretty much a full house, but good atmosphere overall. Okay, John, I, I want to share our email of the week. I'm not going to reveal this person's name. I'm not sure if she sent this to me in private, but former Cornell runner. I'll give her initials, MM, in case she wants to be known. But anyways, she wrote me and said, on another note, the atmosphere was wild. I was at New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, Milrose, and USATM Indoors, but I think the crowd energy was more electric than those three combined. Do you agree with that statement or false? I was at Milrose. The the atmosphere, well, correct me if I'm wrong, the atmosphere for Wanna Make a Mile when he was trying to get the world record, that was pretty great, I would have to say. I agree. I mean, the armory's loud no matter what. I've been there for high school meets where it's loud, but people were waving him on, and I thought it was a pro version of an armory crowd, and people were into it. I mean, watching on the broadcast, I thought the Boston meet was tremendous, especially for what it was. And I think it says something about our sport that – College track coaches, I get it. Okay, they got a four-hour drive home on a bus, but they can't even stay 30 minutes to let their kids witness a world record. Like, that might be pretty inspiring to a kid, especially a distance runner or just anyone. Like, I don't know. I mean, if you could sort of – it's not the Super Bowl, but if you're a football – if you had a football game and you got to, like, had to extend 30 minutes to watch a Super Bowl, everybody would be staying. There wouldn't be any question, right? But, oh, okay, whatever. We don't give a shit about this. Let's get out of here and get on the road. So – Kids can watch reruns of some DVD movie on the bus as we sit there for three hours. It's kind of crazy. 
but thanks to all the coaches who stayed and it was a great run. And then behind Kajelcha on the broadcast, I saw these guys jumping up and down these other guys in yellow. And I was like, why are these Americans celebrating hitting the A standard? Like, kids in a candy store. I was like, this is kind of a bit embarrassing. I honestly thought that at first. And then I saw Johnny Gregoric, 349.98. And okay, it's cool to celebrate a sub-350 mile. My apologies. I'm glad Johnny G is allowed to celebrate becoming the seventh American ever under 350. Glad he has your permission, Weldon. I felt like he was never on the screen until the very end. And he actually had the fastest lap, last lap in the race by a lot. And 349.98 is pretty cool. But also I think it shows 347.01 and 349.98. That's a huge distance because and, – and there's results that looks kind of close together, but they were in two completely different races. I mean, great run by both guys. And number two time all time, he's only – how far off Lagat's American record? I mean, that would have been pretty cool if he got the American record. He was only a tenth of a second off of it. Wow. I mean, that was great. And the American angle is important. A lot of people are inspired by those guys. And the Gregoric run was, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't be that surprised. Because I think one thing that maybe we should discuss is what this means about indoor times, the track at BU. There's a ton to discuss. So I was out with the family on Sunday, wasn't watching the race. And I went to the website. I'm like, I wonder if he got the world record. I was thinking, well, he probably did, but going for both records seems stupid. And then I looked at the results and I was like, what the F? Like, I could not believe that these other Americans, like, to be honest, and I apologize because I've known John Gregoric's father for a long time. And I've been bashing Johnny all week on the matches. We're not bashing him, but trying to put a perspective in this. But I couldn't believe he ran 349.98. Like, I didn't even know he'd been running an indoor track season. I mean, I guess I did, but he kind of finished middle of the pack in these other races. So, I was originally sort of stunned that he ran so fast. But then I, my immediate thought was, figure out a way to use this to bash Rupp. So I thought, can we put an asterisk now <laughs> next to Galen Rupp's 350.92? I mean, seriously, when Rupp ran those times, people were like, oh, it's amazing. It's the most amazing thing. I'm like, no, no one else tries to run fast indoors. And now we have proof of this. First of all, this track is amazing. There's a thread, and I'm going to put John in charge of a story on this over the next month or so, about the BU track that Pete Shooter, the former BU coach, has talked about how it's designed. It's an uneven bank. I mean, this thing is amazing how much thought has gone into running this. So it's kind of like the Nike 4% shoot. These guys are running faster than I think they might run outdoors. But still very impressive. But, you know, people used to say, oh, Rupp's 350. He would make the U.S. team in the 1500. No, he would not. He would get his doors blown off. So, you know, in the week that was this week, I, I had a big section about how there's a huge difference between running a 1500-meter time trial in a 1500 meter race and people who are you know 45 or older will certainly know that because of a number of the former frank gagliano coached runner steve holman holman was three times ranked in the top 10 in the world he was by far america's best 1500 meter runner i mean he would run 334 he had a 334 one pr when nobody else in the u.s could break 338 and yet he would show up at usa's every year and get beat because he didn't know how to race. He didn't know how to change gears. So I just think it's interesting. And I sort of had a Craig Ingalls defense. I mean, Ingalls won the U.S. championship. He beat Gregoric three out of four races. If you ask me who's got a better shot of making the U.S. team, I'm going Ingalls. Now, I know that Gregoric did beat him in 2000, 
17. I know that Gregoric did make the world championship final, but as I pointed out, someone's like, you know, you can't call him a time trial. That's insulting. He made the world championship final. Yes, he did. And it's amazing. Like 349.98, I would be taking my clothes off if I did that. Please. Well, I guess it's a good thing you didn't. Yeah, it's really wonderful. But, you know, when he made that world championship final, look at the the facts here. He didn't finish in the top half in a single race of Worlds. He just got in the right heat every time and and made the final. So I'm not saying he's not a great runner. I'm not saying he can't make an Olympic team. But, you know, look at even Sam Prakel, right? I mean, this is a guy that was, what, I guess he was third at NCAA Indoor Mile last year, but sixth at the NCAAs last year. He's running 351. I mean, Gregorak's probably worth- 350. Yeah, 350. What was Gregorak's best NCA finish? I mean, do we? I think it was third or fourth. Uh, and, you know, one thing about Gregorak, the perfect example is, and, and we joked on, we have, a, we have a weekly Monday conference call, and Steve Soprano, who's not on the podcast, he claimed he was going to call in because one of the points I kept making over and over was Johnny Gregorak never won an Ivy League 1500 a mile title. To me, that's the perfect proof that he's just much better at running fast than he is actually racing. Some Dartmouth dude, John. Who was it? Steve Mangan, class of 2014. Yeah, there we go, Stevie. You know, used to own him at the Ivy League level. So it's just pretty interesting, you know? I mean, I was thinking maybe should we change the mile? Like, should we, at the World Championships, we can make it like a three-event event. And like one day is a time trial, kind of like Tour de France. You have a one-day time trial. Maybe with just yourself. You run only against the clock. There's no rabbits. It's just you against the clock. And then one day we have a real race in the middle. And then maybe the third day we have like a rabbit race or something. All right. All right. I need to step in before Robert ruins the world championships here. I just want to talk about that. You mentioned BU. How fast is it, right? There's this big debate. It's ideally suited for the mile, that sort of thing. So I ran a poll on my Twitter account uh, the day day of the race. I said, what do you think is faster? A perfect conditions outdoor track. You know, you know, zero win, perfect weather, all that, or BU for a one mile race. Sixty two percent, I got seven hundred and sixty votes. Sixty two percent said an outdoor four hundred meter track. So they still think that's faster. I got differing opinions. One pro coach texted me after the mile races. He's like, BU's definitely faster than an outdoor four hundred track. Like he just thought it was that was the, the fastest. But Nick Willis, who knows a thing or two about racing the mile. He said, assuming the ideal conditions, I'd still put Monaco, Rieti, Rome, Oxy, Carson, Icon, and Zagreb as faster. The problem is getting ideal conditions. So I think his, I mean, where do you guys stand on this? Do you think the BU track, what is faster, BU or 400 meter track, perfect conditions? Well, the, the I think Nick Willis was right on the money. You have perfect conditions every time you run into a race. And that's one of the most underrated aspects about indoors. There's no wind. Um, I was going to say, someone needs to text Nick Willis. I'm glad that he responded to your Twitter. John, I, I thought oh, maybe only you, your mother, your father, your sister were your followers. You've got some non-paid-for followers that are actually Olympic medal. I mean, this is impressive. See, I make fun of John's Twitter account, but I don't even have my own Twitter account, so I can just claim the Let's Run following is mine. Yeah, At jgolt13, by the way, if you're listening to the podcast and you don't follow me, and if you're listening to this and you don't follow me on Twitter, I mean, what are you doing? I, I guess I'm going to go with Willis and say the outdoors faster. You know, we had this debate a few years ago, and I think Willis kind of thought outdoors was faster. I think outdoors is faster, but the main thing is the top guys, a lot of the top Kenyan guys don't even try to run indoors. You know, make it put a $25,000 bonus for a sub 330. I think you get one next year. Tell them in advance $50,000, and we get one of the top Kenyan guys to come and 
who knows? They're not so used. They're not used to running. They never run a bank in their life, so maybe they wouldn't be able to do it. But I think people can run under sub three thirty indoors, not easily, but a lot of guys do it outdoors. So there's no reason it shouldn't be done indoors. And I think this year showed you put guys in a fast time on a fast course in a time trial type race, they can run pretty fast indoors. And that thread on the track was, was it's amazing. We'll put a link to it in the show notes because it talks about the optimal, the optimal bank angle of a track for different races for like men versus women. So for example, like if you three, the BU track, they think the perfect pace is right around 350, somewhere in there, maybe like between 345 and 355 or something like that. But obviously for like a woman's mile, it's, it's not quite as good of a track. And then for shorter races, you want higher bank. This thread is fascinating. But maybe we should hear from Johnny Gregoric himself. Here's Gregoric. How did it go to play out? Yeah, I mean, the plan was just to sit on. I mean, Jesse was, you know, ready to go. We know he's in shape and everything. And the plan was just to sit on, sit on Craig, really, and just stay as relaxed as possible, use his little, little energy. And we just kept on hitting those splits. We kept on hitting those 29s and mm-hmm. kept on feeling better and better. And it just never, never really started to hurt that bad. And then, you know, coming through about 1200, Jesse dropped off. And Tommy, you know, Hilly was standing there going nuts, uh, telling us to, that we were on. And, you know, I just rode Craig for another 200 meters and then figured I got to go. I figured he would go with me. He's been, you know, out kicking me lately. So right. I was like, all right, let's do this together. Went around him and then just saw the 1500 clock, like, turning into 35. And I was like, whoa, what is, what is going on? And then I saw Kajelcha coming around the final turn. And, like, I was like, he's not that far in front of me. And then, yeah. and then I hadn't really been even looking at the clock that much. And I just... It, yeah, it just happened. I, I saw that it was turning 48, 49. I just put in those last few couple hard steps, and it's like, what? And then it was just disbelief after that. I uh, It was the craziest feeling ever. Yeah, it was total shock. There you go. Total shock. That's really cool. I mean, I, I know I've kind of been trying to put it in perspective on the message board, but to hear him talk about that is pretty amazing. I mean, I, I wonder what his goal was for the race. I'm sure it was just to hit the standard. He wasn't dreaming of 349.98. And 349.98 is like, what, 50 times better than 350.01? And it's certainly a million times better than a 332.9, which is what it equates to. Also, one other thing we'd like to mention about that, Johnny got the uh, family mile record. His father, John, held it at 351. Even Johnny had made a world championship final. He still wasn't the fastest miler in his own family. He finally took it down, uh, 349. So he's the fastest Gregoric ever. I still think that the, the senior had the better career. We got a 1317 5,000 meter PR. He's still the U.S. junior, I think, steeplechase record holder. The, the range, like if they had a decathlon for running, his dad would destroy the youngster. I think you guys, Robert did mention key words there steeplechase. I don't know his, his you know, dad's steeplechase, as you mentioned. And Gregoric did win an Ivy League title in the steeplechase. So everyone on Let's Run who wants people to move up in distance. Evan Jager, are you listening right now? Are you scared? Huh? Well, we should remember that Jager, if you look at their 1,500-meter PRs, they're almost exactly the same. Jager ran through like 332.92. So Jager is just as fast as Gregorak in the mile. Um, and he's got better endurance, I would argue. I mean, I think I think Gregorak's 5,000 PRs like over 14 minutes. I would actually like to see what he could do, considering I saw his dad ran 13.17. But one other thing about this model we haven't talked about is I loved it. And the videos really made it special, and it was cool. I think it was Travis Thompson that made the videos, but he's been emailing us. Normally, the Oregon Project people don't reach out to us, so thank you for sending the videos along. 
but that really made it to see the inside. I mean, I was going to joke, like, did Kajel- are we sure Kajelcha got the world record or did Salazar get it? Because he wanted it more than Kajelcha. And Kajelcha even said that in his post race interview. And I'm like, wait, that's kind of creepy. Then I thought about it. Salazar is actually a lot like me. Like a lot of my own runners would probably would have said at Cornell, like, oh yeah, you wanted it more than me. Um, so, which is actually what Mick Byrne once told me. Mick Byrne, now the Wisconsin coach, when he was at Iona, he's like, Robert, stop. I'm like, what? He's like, number one rule of coaching, you can't want it more than your athletes. But I feel like Salazar almost wants it more than his athletes sometimes. But Salazar set this up. The resources set this up. Am I supposed to believe that Kajelis is the best miler in the world? No. I mean, we just saw him get beat. The one time he raced somebody really good, Samuel DeFerra broke the 1,500-meter world record and beat Kajelcha. So I think if DeFerra's in this race, he might have lost to Kajelcha, but I, I think if he was, he was – I doubt it. Um, you know, so let's just keep everything in the proper perspective. Speaking of Salazar, John, you were there. Exclusive interview, interview with Alberto, right? Yeah, yeah, we're actually going to hit play on that audio right now. Oh, sorry, Let's Run Nation. No interview with Alberto. It's a long-standing running joke that I'm afraid to speak to Alberto, and but that's what John's for. John was there, ready to get the big interview, and politely refused to speak to John. Yeah, he. Was, I mean, he was perfectly nice about it, just said he would rather stay out of the uh, public eye and then proceed to speak to Runner Space after I left, I think. But, uh, you know, yeah, he was nice about it. He was very happy for his athlete. So, uh, you know, congrats to Kajeltra and the NOP. Great achievement. Yeah, great indoor season for Alberto. And I have this love-hate with Alberto. I mean, if I didn't think that – if I had to bet my life on it, I would say they've broken anti-doping rules, but they've never been charged – but outside of that, Alberto, is, I feel like he's the rich man of what I tried to do with running by doing high-low training in Flagstaff. He does takes all the resources and trains the best way and tr- tries to do everything. Like, I don't know, back in the day, no one knew to do high-low training. And my coach told me that was the way that I did it. So I did it in the poor man's way, like driving up in my car. I didn't do, do any of this cross-training stuff. And Alberto's like taking this and just, I shouldn't say, put it on steroids. But um, taking it to the next level, shall we say. So, and it, it's great for the sport. His guys race, he makes big goals, and they go after them. A lot of coaches keep their goals private, and they're not as public. And I thought this was wonderful. And I think there's even a difference there. Like, I'm a huge fan of the Bowerman Track Club, but I think – I remember one time at a, at a national championship coming through the media – I mean, at a world championships, and somebody said, oh – Alberto's got, it was a, a Jerry athlete. And they said, maybe this is maybe before, you know, Houlihan and all these people. And he said, oh, that was a Jerry race. He, Alberto's guys wouldn't do that. And the, the athlete sort of ran hoping maybe to get in the medals. Alberto's guys, the goals are big. They're out there and they go after him. So it was a great cap to the indoor season. And it made it, at least for U.S. fans, that the indoor season would have been a lot less interesting without what they did. Yeah, it's kind of funny. When I met with Alberto once at the Nike campus and after i finished it uh, he reminded me i when you took you compared it to like a richer you with all the resources in the world i used to say god alberto is like john kellogg but on steroids and now the steroid joke is kind of appropriate not that i necessarily think they've done steroids but it could have been some testosterone gel in there but he's really into the testing he's really into the conditions being perfect i mean you know like when i when john was helping me coach at cornell it would be like 
okay, we need to do um, a time trial outdoors today in perfect weather. And I'm like, John, it's February 15th in Ithaca. It's snowing outside. We can't do that. And he would go irate. They're like, we don't have like an indoor 400 meter outdoor track that we could put a roof over. But now you're getting to see that with the Nike Oregon project. Like, I mean, I was watching even the video of like Kajelcha working out at UW. I mean, who has the resources to go to UW and work out or who can close down the track and get to work out after the race? If I'm trying to work out after a race, they're probably going to kick me out of the building. So, you know, it's just pretty interesting sort of all the resources they have. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the other stuff does take away from it. Even from my email of the week, the last sentence of my email of the week says, I'm not a Salazar last two sentences, but he did a good, nice job building excitement and anticipation for this one. Kajelcha seems like a great guy. So I really hope all the training and supplements and usual Salazar sketchiness isn't happening there. So, <laughs> you know, this is a diehard fan who went to three different indoor meets. And it's what she's thinking. So we do have female visitors, folks. And it's just not us that has questions. So there you have it. But it, it was a great weekend. I, I I very much agree with you all. It may added the, to the excitement of the indoor season. And I feel like we should have a let's run time trial meet. Like at the end of the season, maybe end of outdoors. Like maybe we should hold like a let's run last chance USA meet on the East Coast. Like around June. And then we have at the end of the season, like all out time trials. Like if Paul Chalima hadn't broken 13 minutes, we have a rabbit for 13 minutes. Because these guys can, you can run significantly faster. I mean, you heard Gregor talk about it. The, the, the one thing that was faster than Monaco is there aren't that many people in this race. You're not fighting for position. You're just running. You're just, you know, one mile. You're not running extra distance. You're not moving back and forth. You're not. So I think, you know, there, there's a need for these types of things. And I think the geeks that let's run really enjoyed time trials. All right. Well, I think we've spent quite a lot. We've probably spent four times as much time, five times as much time talking about that race as Kajelcher actually took to run it. So maybe we move on to Tokyo Marathon. I mean, that was World Marathon Major number one over the weekend. And the winners were two Ethiopians, Bahanu Legese, Ruti Aga, both getting their first World Marathon Majors victories. Conditions looked pretty terrible. I mean, I know it wasn't Boston-like weather, but it was 40 and rainy, and that's about as bad as it gets for, for distance running. I would have personally hated to run in those conditions. And, yeah, you know, the times, they weren't too bad up front. I think it was, what did he run? Did, was it 204 for Legese for the win and and two 220 for Rudiaga? So not not bad at all. Yeah, 204.48, second best time ever in Tokyo history, and 2.20.40, which also might be second best time. I'm not sure about that. But, yeah, I, I was watching the race covering it for Let's Run, and, when it went off and I saw that it was forties and raining, I mean, it wasn't like a downpour, but a lot of the guys were just wearing like shorts and singlets. I was like, and, and, and these Japanese guys went out in the lead group. I mean, there's three Japanese guys that went out in the first half and like two of four flat pace and they looked very relaxed. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Like there's, well, there's only one thing worse than running in 40 degrees in rain. And that's 30 degrees in rain and a bigger wind, I guess. But I was like, shouldn't this end result in a big blow up? And I wrote that on the message board and it ended up being a big blow up for almost everyone in the men's race. I mean, the, the fascinating thing is, you know, only two guys broke, I think two Oh eight in the race. Um, and 46 men hit halfway at under two ten pace. And I think in the end, what four guys did it? No Japanese. So ultimately, Mother Nature won. It reminded me very much of Boston in the sense of 
if you forget last year, Boston, I mean, Jeffrey Kurui almost destroyed that field. He was way ahead of Yuki Kawauchi. Like the, the weather didn't seem to be affecting him that much. And then all of a sudden, I think because the weather was so bad and it was so cold, it did, the, the bear jumped on his back. For some reason, for a few people in Tokyo, it didn't affect him that much. But most people really struggled in that weather at the end. I mean, they still went out fast. They act like it wasn't going to affect them. But I think your body's just almost wasting a lot of energy, like producing heat. And then ultimately, you run into the wall. You know, although, I mean, Seguro Osaka didn't even make it 30K. So, you know, it, it was a pretty um, interesting race. Um, and I listened, I, I watched an NBC gold. I really enjoyed watching Brett Lorner. I mean, he, he was just doing a solo broadcast, but he knows so much about the Japanese runners and he was comparing it. Most of the Tokyo course is the same as the Olympic course. So, but in the, the difference is in the Olympic course, because it's going to be in the hot summer, they're going to run on some smaller roads so that there's more shade. And Brett said, it's going to make a big difference to have a lot of shade in the course and not be in the sun in the sun in direct sun. So I still think they should move the marathon to another part of Japan. I think it's a disgrace. They're going to run this in like 80 degree weather. Yeah. The more, the more I think about it, the more I think that the Olympic marathon is just going to be a complete shit show and disaster. And it's going to be, you know, just people dropping out left and right. I think if you, the Olympic marathon, I mean, there's many ways to classify like who's the best marathoner in the world, right? If it's a tactical race, if it's a championship race, I think the, the goal of the Olympic marathon should be kind of to, I mean, who's the best marathoner, at least in a championship style race. And if you can have 90 degree heat, I think it's just going to be who handles the heat best. And that that's not really what I want to see out of an Olympic marathon. I know that a lot of them have been hot in the past, but I just think it's going to be a disaster. But that, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit there. Okay, Owen Rupp, 2020 Olympic marathon champion. He does run well in the heat, that's for sure. Well, hopefully the Kenyans are smart enough to get their own cooled ice hats. Kenya, you only have, what, 18 months to get ready to hand out your own illegal cheating hat that the Rupp got. I mean, even that shows, right? No one knew that it happened. In case you guys don't know what we're talking about, during the 2016 Olympics, Galen Rupp was being handed a hat that had ice packs, ice on it, was allowed to put it on with ice. I mean, no one even knew that was legal. Alberto Salazar knew it was legal. They asked beforehand. I'm actually still shocked that that's legal. I thought you could only be handled water. I don't know if it could be chilled or not, but like, chilled ice it's like are we gonna can someone run around and give you a fan i just feel like i don't know giving someone ice that i agree i guess you can have water with ice but just a hat just no one knew before we thought you could get drinks and that was it not like can, can they give you a vest could they give you an ice vest halfway through the race and you put that on i just felt like a change of equipment that has a cooling device and it essentially ice is shouldn't be allowed but it was legal, and that's just sort of what we talked about. Alberto would say he doesn't cross any line, any any black lines. But he's a genius. There's a lot of stuff that goes on, and I think one more thing touching up. You know, in the past, I could find the quote, but there was some quote. You know, we just take beta alanine and vitamin C or something like that. I'm just making up two words, and then it turns out they took a lot more stuff legally that they admit to. So you know, just if if there wasn't a little bit of hypocrisy and untruthfulness there maybe the rest would be believed i don't think we need to spend any more time on tokyo i really want to talk about europeans john and which was more shocking to you that laura muir was so dominant in her 3500 victory or that young jacob ingebrigtsen failed to complete the double i mean i think after he won the 3000 people just assumed he would win that 1500 right 
Yeah, so it, it's mule for, mule for me, though, because, and here's why. So it's funny, I went to the BU meet on Sunday, so I didn't really get to see the, the 1500s on uh, the Europeans. And I was talking to Kyle Merber afterwards, and he asked me, he's like, so who, who won the 1500 at Euros? You know, Kyle's like a big, you know, I like Kyle a lot. He's a huge track nerd, like all of us, which is great. But and he sort of expected me to have the goods because he was out there racing. He wasn't paying attention. And I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I mean, I got to assume it's Ingebrigtsen, right? And I was trying to think in the back of my mind. I'm like, well, I don't know. Is Le- if Lewandowski is in Martin Lewandowski of Poland, if he's in the race, maybe he might be able to do it because Lewandowski is known for having a really good kick. He's, you know, an 800 guy who has transitioned to the 1500 in recent years. He got the silver at world indoors last year in the 1500 and the silver behind Jakob in the 1500 outdoors at euros last year. So I was like, you know what? He might be able to do it. And he did it. And it was, it was really impressive. And, you know, I would have picked Jakob going in. He just made that kid. I mean, again, we've said it before. He runs so smoothly. I just thought no way anyone's touching this guy, but you know, he, the race was only, you know, it was like three forties, I think was the winning time. And, Lewandowski, I mean, when he went on that last lap, he just has a top gear that Jakob cannot match. And he blew him away, and that was really impressive. But to me, I mean, I was struck by Muir because I knew she, I knew she's probably going to win those races. I knew she's probably going to kick away from the fields at the end of them. She's, you know, she's run 355. She won these two races back in 2017. I mean, she's, she's an incredible runner. What I did not expect was just how fast she was running at the end of these races. I mean, the 3K... On Friday, she runs six. Uh, the winning time is eight thirty, which is not slow. That's it was a European. It was a meet record. It was you know I think only four seconds or so off the European record, and she closed it in sixty point two zero for her last four hundred and twenty eight three two for her last two hundred. So that I mean, people on Twitter, I mean, were, were freaking out about Dina Asher Smith, who you know the great two hundred meter runner for Great Britain. She was you know, sort of joking she didn't want to face Laura over, Laura over the last lap because she was moving so quickly. And, you know, and that was actually Muir's slow close for the championships because if you look at the 1500, she ran the last 400 in a 405 race in 57.58. I mean, that is absolutely fantastic. And I think that's the one thing. I mean, Laura Muir, she's a great all-around 1500 runner, but if, you, if there was one knock on her going in, it's that maybe she didn't have, going into this year, it's that maybe she didn't have that really top gear to match it with the Kipyugans or Hassan or even Houlihan, you know, in a, in a champ- slow championship race. And I think she has dispelled that doubt. I mean, 57-58, there are very few women in the world that are able to close that fast in a championship race. And I think for me, she has to be the favorite for the gold in Doha this, this year. I feel like she is at another level this year and she already was what, you know, diamond league champion at 1500 meters. I guess she has no world championship medals. She's always sort of missed outdoors, but she was one of the fastest women in the world. And now just, I thought it was so impressive at Europeans. I didn't see the 1500 meter lie, but I, I knew she was racing Coco in the 3000. I was kind of curious I think Coco is not having good finishing speed, which is kind of, which is the case, but I was curious what she could do under the new NLP training. So I was going to dinner and I streamed the end of that one on my phone and it was just total destruction. That final 200, 400. So it was impressive. The 3000 was ridiculous as well. I mean, the 57 and the 1500, but let's appreciate that 3000. She ran her last 
1500 in the 3000 and 405 flat. I think she could have spotted everyone in the 1500 field. She could run a 1500 meter warm up and still beat everybody in the 1500 meter field. Because if you look at the number of Europeans that have broken 405 flat this year, there's only three. Muir obviously is one. Coco has run 402.70 from a converted. Look. And, and then Sophia Anui of Poland has run 405.22. Well, guess what? Sophia Anui of Poland got second in the 1500 to Moore. She was over three seconds back. So, and if you look at miles, you know, none of them are running under 425 either. So there's basically, and Coco was only in the 3000. So there's really only one woman in the field that can even run 405.73. It's not even 405 flat. So Muir can spot, can close a 3,000 faster than every other European can run a 1,500. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, well, she's just clearly way better than all the other European competitors. I guess the one person that we're missing is Sifan Hassan. Like, it's, it's, isn't it weird that, you know, Yomif Kajelcha and Sifan Hassan, very similar skill set. They both have range that goes all the way up to the half marathon. They both have great speed. I mean, Hassan's run 156 for 800. She did run that one road race in Monaco where she broke the quote unquote world record for 5K. But, you know, th- you would think with their skill sets, she would be hitting it just as hard as Kajelcher, and yet she's barely been racing at all. I mean, what do you make of this, Robert? Well, that's what bothers me about the sport. So, you know, with Coco and the Nike Oregon Project, they decide Europeans is important for her. But for Kajelcha, it's to chase the world records. And for Hassan, it's we're going to skip the entire indoor season. She did run a 1444 road 5,000. So it's not like she's not in great shape. But why wouldn't she show up at Europeans? I know there's no 5,000, but wouldn't it have been great to see her versus Muir there? I was thinking maybe, and then we don't hear any explanation for it because I don't know, I guess we could have asked Salazar or something, but you know, I was thinking maybe he's trying to move her up to the 10 K. So maybe she's working on her endurance and he doesn't want to waste his time on the track for her. Like she needs to work on her strength, but she ran the sick half marathon. I, but yeah, it's just the problem of the sport. It's like, whatever's important is what we decide to race. So yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like I, I also thought that didn't Coco join the Nike Oregon project so she could train with us on. I don't think that's why. And technically, I mean, officially, I don't think she's even technically a member. She trains with them. She's, I think, officially still a member with a German club. Yeah, I heard she wanted to train with his aunt. That's what I read. Didn't y'all? I did. To me, it was just better resources and better coaching than in Germany. I'm not sure if it was specifically to train with Hassan. So you know, people can do their own thing, but I, I kind of feel like the Europeans are are fun. It's kind of like Europeans are going to get mad. It's like it's their version of the NCAA championships. But, um, you know, I, I enjoyed the meet and, and, and some of the stuff, but it would have been much better. I, I, I wanted to see Coco versus Muir, and it ended up being a destruction. And I would have loved to have seen Hassan versus Muir now in hindsight. But John anointed her as the world championship favorite. I would say that's disrespectful to Faith Kipiegon, the 2016 Olympic and 2017 world champion. But considering Kipiegon hasn't raced since 2017, she's been out for a year, I would say that, that's a fair assessment. I mean, Muir, we know is in great shape. We, we don't know what faith is doing right now. Right. Cause she took off 2018 to have a baby. So, you know, I, I think she can get back, but she has to get to a very high, you know, she has to basically be as good as she was before she went away. And that's, that's not going to be easy to do. Now, if they had the worlds in like April and like Sabadell, Spain, I would probably pick Gonzabe de Baba. Like if they put it in an obscure location, and didn't allow any fans to watch and maybe put it on a very like sketchy YouTube video. Like I think <laughs> clearly she'd been there. 
Yeah, she does have the some sort of you know like the Twitter ratio, the f- fastest times versus how many people have actually seen the race. Debaba's got to have like the record for sure. Houlihan's got to be liking her chances as well. Shelby Houlihan, who was beaten by Colleen Quigley at USA's a week and a half ago, a steeplechase. So well then, you, you're telling me you don't think Shelby Houlihan will be a medalist in the 1500 meter world championship? I think she'll medal. I think she has a good chance at gold. I'm just saying, like I expected to go in there and just crush Colleen Quigley, and I think that Laura Mule would have crushed. I think Laura Mule would have beaten Colleen Quigley in that race. Houlihan was coming off of a 10k cross country in her first track race of the year. And maybe Quigley should become a miler instead of a steeplechaser. Right. That's what I was going to ask. Should Quigley move down to the mile? This would make the steeplechase a legitimate event if actually a steeplechaser became world class at another event. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there wasn't. Didn't America have someone do that already, Robert? Wasn't the 2011 world champion a former steeplechaser who dropped down to the mile? Are you just forgetting about Jenny Simpson here? Well. <sighs> See, you don't, Robert doesn't like it when I bring up facts and stuff because he likes to think in generalities. <laughs> I still don't understand how Simpson, God bless her, how did she do that? Like, I, It's amazing how, I, I guess Morgan Eusebe was number one in the world and never broke four minutes, right? So it used to be different. It didn't used to be a 355 game. Now it's, the world's moved on, John. The world's moved on. Jenny medaled, she's medaled four times. She medaled in 2017. She medaled in 2016. <laughs> What do you want from her? I guess this isn't like the blind acorn repeatedly finding the blind squirrel repeatedly finding the acorns. This is very good seeing a squirrel. Yeah, no, I mean, to go back to Weldon's point, though, Houlihan, obviously, I, I think it's legit. I think she has, I, if I had to pick between the two of them, I mean, remember, Muir beat Houlihan in the Diamond League final last year. And I think the big edge that I thought going into the year that Houlihan had was that she could close faster than Muir. Now, I'm not sure that's the case i think that even you know their closing speed is pretty close um i think it's gonna be a great race but if i had to pick the one of the one of the two right now i'm going with muir but there's a lot of races in between now and worlds yeah, i'm looking at the head-to-head between Houlihan and muir last year and outdoors shelby beat her at pre and lazan winning both races muir second in both races then she got beat in the diamond league final Muir first, Houlihan second. So all three races were sub four, and all three they just you know switched places, one versus two. But it's sort of interesting. This just shows how far Shelby Houlihan came as a runner. At World Indoors, Houlihan was over five seconds behind Muir. Muir got second, 406.23. And Houlihan over five seconds back and forth. I mean, we, were, we didn't even think of Shelby Houlihan as a world-class runner last year, indoors, at, at anything. Until and now we're thinking, okay, maybe she can win a gold medal in the fifteen hundred. And with Kipiegan coming back from the baby, that makes it easier. And Hassan's moving uh, up to the five k, ten k, so she's out. But say Hassan's yeah, not going to run the fifteen. Casta Semenya might not be allowed to compete anymore. She medaled at Worlds in twenty seventeen. So the fifteen hundred's got some women. It's changing this year. Jenny Simpson's getting. She's you know one year older. Okay, can we talk about Laura Muir's coach though? What do you guys think of this quote? Here's Andy Young. She's a proper world star, beginning to move into a world star of sport, never mind athletics. I mean, I guess British athletic star people are kind of bigger relatively in Britain than they are in the U.S., but, I mean, Shelby Houlihan, nobody in America knows who she is. So can we really say that Laura Muir is a world star of sport? I mean, I guess there aren't that many female pro athletes that get a lot of publicity. So 
other than the tennis players, nobody pays attention to women's athletics really at the elite level unless you're a Korean golfer. Um, the way I read that was that she was turning into someone that Britain, anyone in Britain would sort of know that she, who she is, that she's, you know, goes across just track and field in Great Britain. But yeah, a world star, I mean, no, no one in the United States knows who Laura Muir is. Like if I walked through downtown Boston right now and asked people, I if I asked 100 people, I bet that maybe one of them might know who Laura Muir is. So she's, she's got a ways to go on that front, but... You know, she's. I'm sure she's very popular in England, in Scotland, and Wales, Northern Ireland, Great Britain. That's pretty generous, John. I'm not sure one out of a hundred. One out of a hundred? <laughs> you think it's? It should be one in a thousand. Depends on how close you are to the, like the Charles. If somebody's actually running, you know. Yeah. No, actually, you're right. You know, if I walked into Roxbury right now, I think probably uh, might be like one. I don't know if there's anyone in Roxbury who knows who Laura Muir is. So this weekend, should we talk about what's going on? John will be. No, no, we have we have one more thing to talk about from um, Tokyo. I have some wife audio from the Tokyo Marathon. Do you guys want to hear that first before we get to NCA indoors? Bring it on. Whose wife? My wife. Here it is. I was watching the Tokyo broadcast. It was, what, Saturday night? We were about to watch a movie. And I said, hey, hold on a second. And I flipped it on. And then it went to NBC Gold. And it was Brett Larner, the Japan running expert. He does a solo broadcast, and it's way better than it used to be because two years ago, they had a guy who barely spoke English on the broadcast, and Brett knows more about Japanese running than anyone. So I just had the solo broadcast on. I was watching the end of the race, and my wife said some comments, and I said, oh, my gosh, I should be recording this. So I did rewind the broadcast about 20 seconds and start recording and tell her to repeat that, but we'll pick up there. Wait, but before we get to them, I want to say that I was mesmerized by the Brett Larner broadcast. I found it so much better than the Olympic channel. It was like very calming. He doesn't try to like get you excited. He just talks almost like very Zen-like. It was like a, a Buddhist aspect to it, but his the knowledge was in search. I really liked it. I hope that Mrs. Johnson agrees. Yeah, I, I'm just glad that you have her permission. And this was made clear that you're recording her. I was worried when Re- Weldon said he was going to play a recording that he's just secretly recording his wife at all times. Is that illegal in New York State? Or? New York has very strict privacy rules. She said I could use this audio. All right, here we go. Wife audio, number one. Groundbreaking. Let's run.com. Wait, I'm really confused. I thought like... If you're running really fast, you don't drink water or stop for water. I'm very confused. At all? You don't think they drank water the whole way? I thought they didn't drink the water the whole way. I thought they just ran. You need fueling. Is this a real marathon? Fueling. <laughs> this is a real marathon. Now, what were you saying before about... Oh, see those little dots on his face? Yeah. What do you think of those things? They're creepy. Hickeys? Yeah, I have no idea what that is. You had some hickeys last night? You had a make-out sesh? What else are you asking about the guy in front? Yeah, this guy. He stopped for a little like water cooler break. <laughs> I mean, he can break the world record and said he just takes a chill pill and has water. Some Gatorade. Oh, boy. See, this guy's wearing a hat. This is not a real marathon. This is not a serious marathon. I've never even really seen these outfits. This turnaround's not good, this right? This turnaround is like... Look at them. They look like amateurs. <laughs> they don't even do a tight turn. Their legs have got to hurt. Okay, guys. Thoughts? I have some audio at the finish as well. That was amazing. 
That was so good. So first of all, Walton's wife is a great athlete. I think she was like a high school American in lacrosse. She she played collegiately. She's run marathons. Like she's like a very talented runner. She's like just picked up running and easily qualified for Boston, right? Did she run like three hours or three ten or something? Like I think three thirty. Now people oh gosh, pretty what sure that's lied to me. Qualifier, right? John, can you look at the Boston qualifier for like a thirty year old woman? I'm on it. I think she ran three twenty something or three thirty something. It was a Boston qualifier. She's definitely faster than I am. Like I know if we went running right now, she would destroy me. So this is amazing. So she's a you know a former Division One athlete, and she doesn't think that elite marathoners should be drinking water, which is amazing, right? Like what other sport do you take like you know like in the NBA you call timeout and you have your water break. You know, so I, I love that. And then I guess the turn was she talking about the 180 degree turn? There were a couple 180 degree turns in, in Tokyo, which were quite weird. Yes, the 180 degree turns, it's terrible. They do like a 180 degree turn, and it just shows a casual person watching that. I can't believe they couldn't just do a couple of 90 degree turns. Like Tokyo is the only major I know that has 90, 180 degree turns. Yeah, Dubai has some too, but it's you know technically not a major. What, what I think is really interesting though is we need to have this more often. We just need to sit down and watch events with like non-running junkies and have them weigh in and just say, "Hey, that's stupid," or "Hey, this this works," or like, "Oh, I want to see more of that." I just want their input to learn about the sport and how to improve it because sometimes we just get so used to the, like the new the intricacies and you know the idiosyncrasies of track and field. That we're blind to it. So I, I need more input from non-running nodes. The marathon is going to be much more fascinating when you're not allowed to have a water break. The poor people at the 2020 Olympics, they're going to die because Walden's wife has, has forbidden water breaks. But she also doesn't want them wearing hats. You know, this Rupp would not like this. Salazar and Rupp would not like this because all their gizmos and their little hats and their gloves and their, you know, artificial age would be banned by Mrs. Johnson. So... I don't know. I mean, like, they couldn't wear the vest before the race, I assume? Or would she be fine with you doing it before the race? Well, like, could you cool yourself? Like, this is not Alberto certified, I don't think. Uh, it's like surgery. You can't eat or drink the day of the race. You just got to have a totally empty stomach. I think back in the day, in, in Japanese marathons, there was no water. Right? So maybe she knew about the history of the sport. Or it's considered, like, very, almost like cheating to take water. A sign of, like, stoicism, just to just tough it out. Got some audio of her talking about the finish of the race. You guys want to hear that as well? Millie. Oh my god, he's not even going to get two of four. He almost missed the turn. Oh my god, that's so mean. Come on, buddy. Come on, get it into two of four. Oh my god. Oh my god. Why does he not even look out of breath? Well, he won. <laughs> Everyone else is tired behind him. That's my he joke. He just like crushed. Oh no, Japan, man. Okay, you have to go walk your dogs. Say bye. Wow, like, that also was fascinating. Was she making a doping allegation? Actually, it shows you. It drives me nuts so much when people are always like the winner doesn't look tired. That's generally what happens. The winner's not going maxed out because the winner won the race. So, John, you're right. Like we get the average person's reaction. She's like he doesn't look that tired, but she was happy that he broke the two or five barriers. She's like the natural barrier, the time barriers are natural even for the casual fans. I think it is interesting because. If someone looks really easily, it's like, oh, a sign of doping. I don't think she was making a doping allegation. But the least tired person in the race is always the winner, if you think about it. At some point, everyone behind him got dropped. And essentially, the guy up front is going faster than they can actually handle. The winner maybe could go faster. 
the winner is the least tired person out there. What did you guys think about the things on their neck? We haven't talked about that. That was one of the popular threads of the week. Sounded like pseudoscience, right? Like someone said they were like sort of magnetic strips or something that in Japan, there was some belief or at least the athletes believe that they benefit them or, you know, helps with their body's energy or that sort of thing. I mean, it all sounded kind of like a load of crap to me. I haven't looked into the science of it. It might not be any science. It might just be pseudoscience, but to me, it's just sort of a placebo. It makes them think they're doing everything they can to run as fast as they can. So if, if that's what it makes them think, good for them. But I don't think, you know, the fact that, again, we bring up Salazar and Rupp, like seemingly every topic on this, but the fact that Galen hasn't tried this at some point in his career tells me there's probably nothing to it. Although, ironically, Salazar may have broken the doping rules to do the L-carnitine, which apparently doesn't work. So it's interesting. You know, I think that it's not the cupping thing. It's magnets that they're wearing. So it, maybe it's a good look. Walden's wife thought that Walden's look. It's not a good look. He got some action. It looked like the guy, the Japanese guy got some action. What make the women a little bit jealous? John, I'm wondering when you listen to this, could this possibly help you with like your dating life? Like to understand the mind, the mindset of women who are kind of, you know, they'll tolerate running, but they're not really diehard runners. So they can help, you know, you can't, I, I'm assuming when you go on dates, like you don't, get into the intricacies of Laura Muir's 405 final 1500 because that might go over their head. But now you kind of can know what level to talk to these. Well, no, it's, it's actually funny. I went on a date the other night and uh, the Whoa. person, well, th- this does happen from time to time. And the woman I was with was, she is a runner. She's not like a huge running nerd, but she knew who Des Linden was. She said she's a big Des Linden fan. So that was kind of cool. Breaking news. John went on a date. We need to have a weekly dating segment for John. No, no, we don't. Well, it's sponsored by Bumble. Today's dating segment sponsored by Bumble. Hey, anyone out there work for one of the dating apps? Hit us up. Uh, we need some sponsors. Robert seems very interested in John's dating life. This is the second time it's come up in two weeks, but I think maybe we should make this a weekly feature. I have a lot of emailers that are emailing me about John. I said he's professional. Cannot put you in contact with him. All right, how about we go back to running? So uh, there's a big meet this weekend. I will be down in Birmingham, Alabama for the NCAA Indoor Championships. Weldon scored me a sweet hotel. It's right next to the building. I can basically just walk there. So, uh, yeah. Wow, that was John giving away where his hotel is. Well, yeah, there might be more than one hotel. Who knows exactly which one it is. Very smooth, John. (laughs) I told you, we moved beyond the dating thing. We're, We're onto the NCAA Indoors. One more thing in case people don't know what we're talking about on the Japanese thing, because we're on a podcast. These things look like little circular band-aids on their neck, and they're called Elikaban, E-L-E-K-I-B-A-N. Supposedly, they're magnetic little things you can stick on your skin. Sounds like a big placebo effect, but hey, if the placebo effect, the placebo effect works, so if it makes them run faster, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Now, finally, on to NCA indoors. Well, here's what I want to know. So I've been spending the last couple of days like researching all the distance fields, trying to figure out what's going on here. I know that you, some of you guys, what Robert's written the DMR preview. I thought it was really good. You guys should check that out on letsrun.com if you haven't yet. He's uh, no holds bar. It's Rojo at his finest. You know, he just comes out swinging. Um, but Weldon, you haven't, you know, I don't think you follow this stuff super intensely during the season. What you know? What do you want to know about NCAA indoors? Do you do you have any ideas of the big storylines going in? What do you care about? What are you interested in going into this meet? So this is interesting because I feel like NCAA 
track is just interesting. There's not really the team component. Sure, there's a national champion announced, but you can have four good guys and win a national championship, and that's what track is. And problem is, I went and did a little research. But, you know, sometimes a team will be fifth at SECs and win the national championship in track. So it's just sort of weird. So one, I'm kind of interested in which team is going to win, even though it's a kind of a weird concept and four guys can win a team. Who's going to win the distance races? And then sort of what stars are going to emerge in something else? Because I feel like the, it's like the breeding ground for the future sprint stars. My problem is I went and did a little research. So tell me if this is right. Arkansas, heavy favorites on the women's side. And the men's side should be tight. I think from a let's run perspective, essentially one question is, I think a lot of people think they won't even finish top five, but could Wisconsin win the meet essentially with like two distance runners and a DMR and a couple other guys? But can you just parlay a couple guys to a national title? What else am I missing? You have the Grand Holloway show. You got Mondo. You got some great sprinters. You don't have Sidney McLaughlin like you did last year. Yeah, but NCAA, it's an assembly line. I mean, McLaughlin and these guys, they turn pro. Michael Norman turned pro. And then you get, you know, you're not, you, maybe you don't get someone quite that level, but you get really good guys. I mean, Grant Holloway, this guy, he could, you know, break the collegiate record again. Kamari Montgomery's run 45.04 for the 400. He's the top seed there. I mean, that's the top time in the world. Like, this, the guy who won Europeans broke the European record, and he was still slower than what Kamari Montgomery ran earlier this year. Divino Diduru from Texas Tech. I mean, he's in the low 20s. I think the world record isn't much faster than 20 flat there. Holloway could win the 60 and the 60 hurdles. I mean, every year there are new guys breaking out and new women as well. And, you know, Lena Irby of Georgia, she was a star last year and it looks like it's her time to win an NCAA title. I mean, there's just there's so much talent and you never know exactly what it's gonna, who's going to come out. But she never won an NCAA title. I think Lena Irby actually did win NCAA's last year in, in the Outdoor 400. I'm pretty sure about that. She sort of called it quits after the season. Because I remember thinking, she's going back to college. No one knows who she is. And she's, I think, faster than Sydney in 400. Yeah, she ran 49 AD last year outdoors. It's just kind of crazy. But like you say, it's almost like an assembly line. There will be world leaders in the sprints almost every year at NCAAs. Faster than the world indoor championship sometimes this didn't come up in the world indoor thing richard kilty he was a world indoor champion is that correct john 2014 world indoor champion he had to get like a wild card entry into the european championships because he was the defending champion at 60 and i just went and looked up the results during this podcast fourth place so the brit city wasn't good enough to make the team the organizers give him a wild card because he's defending champion he gets fourth so maybe the Brits were right if the mindset is we only send a medalist, but then they really wouldn't have had much of a team. So I thought that was kind of cool. But here's also, here's the difference, like the Europeans, okay, the winning time at Euros, 6.60. To get into the NCAA meet, you had to run 6.62 or faster. I mean, this is just clearly the best sprint meet indoors in the world every year. I, I mean, even world indoors, if you compare the winning times with world indoors and USA indoors last, sorry, world indoors and NCAA indoors last year, obviously Coleman in, in the 60 is the best guy, but in the other events, I mean, the NCAA is probably uh, the superior meet. Michael Norman for sure would have won the 400 at world indoors. And it makes sense though, right? Cause you have a bunch of kids. They're all, if you're on a full ride, you're on like a $50,000 year scholarship or 30000 whatever the whatever the price of a scholarship is. So essentially you're being paid to run and you're forced to focus on indoor track. Whereas the rest of the world, if you got a big contract, you may, most of the guys, 
sprinters don't really care that much about indoors or maybe half of them will and it's just not a focus whereas if you're a collegiate track athlete you, you don't have the option of skipping indoors so it, it's a great thing it is a breeding ground for for the next olympic stars and i don't know if you guys saw this i saw this in sports business journal the u.s olympic committee is now going to allow colleges and let them sort of share some marketing stuff and highlight people as possible future Olympians because they realize now so much of their development is done by the NCAA level, by the NCAA coaches. So tie in the Olympics to the NCAA and not be so worried about protecting the rights because in reality, the more they promote the Olympics, they'll get free promotion from these schools. So I think it's a good idea. Well, that's good because I, I just wanted to drop in our stat. Of, I wanted to include this stat of the week. Bryce Harper, you know, signed that massive contract last year, last week with the Philadelphia Phillies, 13 years, $330 million. So the average annual salary for that is $25,384,615. He makes that in one year. What do you think? Who do you think makes more money? Bryce Harper in one year. Oh, sorry, who makes money more money in one year? Bryce Harper or the entire 2016 US Olympic track and field team? It was a great question. Men and women? Men and women combined which is a total of 129 athletes. I know the answer because I've, I've seen John do the math. Well done. Any guesses? Wow. 129 times 200 grand a pop is only 20 something million, 24 million, right? Average is out to be $179,000 per person, right, John? 197,000. You would need to have the average athlete on Team USA make $197,000 a year for their average total to support for their to combined total to surpass Bryce Harper. I just don't see that happening. I'm sure people like Rupp and Centro and maybe Jenny Simpson are making more, but way more. the average Olympian making 197,000, no way. I mean, Bryce Harper makes more significantly more, I would guess than the entire U S Olympic team. Yeah. But you got a few people making a million or two. I think it adds up though. Cause the field defenders are probably making like 50 K or stuff. I, I agree with you. That's too much. Actually, you, you always wonder how Nike can sponsor all the athletes because it's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. They pay some basketball guy $10 million, a golfer $5 million. I mean, $25 million, you could sponsor the entire U.S. Olympic team. That right there is the reason why I thought Max Siegel should be canned and this no-bid deal to Nike was a joke. Think about how much Under Armour would have paid for that. One athlete is worth $25 million a year. The entire U.S. Olympic team, Every newspaper, every television, for entire two weeks, you see a Nike single on it. I think that's why it's worth a massive amount of money. So, very good pointing out, John, on, on that. It's really amazing, actually, to think about. Yeah, I mean, I'm just guessing here, but that's that. My educated guess, it's not going to cost. If, you know, if it is twenty, it might be thirty million, but I, I, I doubt it. I doubt it's more than twenty-five million for the combined total. My thought about NCAs, not that anyone asked, was somebody. Like, what if they don't? So first of all, I didn't even look at the women. I didn't realize like Arkansas is projected. By the way, if you go to this really cool website called CloudTrainingSystems.com, you can score like any conference meet, any NCAA meet, just on a descending order list. It's pretty cool. So, anyways, Arkansas is projected to score sixty-eight point five points. USC is thirty-four and a half. Ohio State thirty-four. So they almost twice as many points. Now, I was going to make a dig about Arkansas because you know I know Lance Hart, Lance Harder, right? Yep. The coach has been there forever, but it seems to me like they always underachieve in cross country. Am I wrong about that? Like no, they do. Goals? No doubt. Every year. In cross country or you mean in track? Cross country. But so I was like, well, if they're counting on a lot of distance points, I wouldn't be confident in that. But 
they're not really even getting – they have some good milers and stuff, but they're not even – you know, projected to score on that 68 points, only a, only six, only eight of it is from the distances. Um, they're getting like 18 from the pole vault, eight from the sixties, you know, sprints, hurdles, stuff like that. So it looks like they probably will win, but on the men's side, it's kind of interesting. There's like three or four teams that are all projected in the forties. I mean, like what if no one won the men's meet? I mean, I know someone has to win it, but there's like so few people. There's so few points. Like, if someone scores 50 or 60, I feel like it's a team event, but 40 points. I mean, actually look at the women's side. Ohio state is projected to get second or third with 34 points. They have three athletes in the meet. They have a shot putter, Sadia Olatali, who's seated number one in the shot in the weight. That's 20. They have a 200 meter runner is number one. And then a miler is four. like you could score 34 points with three people. So what if we had a meet like we're, we're like 28 points, won the men's meet. It would be completely pathetic. It'd be like, Jonathan Galt and Walton Johnson won the men's NCAA title. Like, I almost feel like, you know, people say they should have a separate team meet, but it's so low on the men's side this year. It's really shocking. Okay. I'm looking at this is just the sending order list. This isn't entries, but four to 44 and a half, Texas Tech 42 and a half, Texas AM 38, LSU 37, Georgia 30, 34. Trivia, what do those five schools all have in common? Say them again. I think they're all SEC schools, right? That's correct. All SEC schools. And speaking of SEC, I think we're we need a, a correction from our podcast. I think last week, I was watching. We said that there was not a crowd at the SEC championships in Arkansas, and I was watching the SEC highlights. They have a little video on the SEC website from the SEC network, which is part of ESPN, and it looked like a decent crowd for a track meet. I apologize. Uh, my source must have lied to me. Robert Johnson, mistake number number one of the year. Or maybe they, maybe your source is watching like the 3K in the first night or something at the end of the, end of the meet or wh- whatever it concludes or the 5K or whatever it would be. The you know People c- c- clear out of the stands at that time. Well, I want to jump in here for a second. So, Robert, you were talking about the projected scores. Now, there are there is a non – Texas Tech is projected to score quite a lot of points. They're not an SEC school. I think they have a legitimate chance to win. Some people would say they're the favorite. Um, Wisconsin, you know, I, we'll get to that in a minute with the, the doubles with McDonald and Morgan McDonald and Ollie Hoare. But one school you did not mention on the men's side projected to score highly – Arkansas men. You were criticizing the Arkansas women, Robert. Do you know how many, based on entries, how many points the Arkansas men are projected to score? Well, I'm looking at my meet scores. It's not many. So you said they're going to score five, five points. Gabe Moore is seated fourth in the heptathlon. He is the only projected scorer based on entries. I mean, Arkansas, this team won NCAA six years ago. They were unstoppable in the 90s. And early 2000s. I mean, it's kind of crazy to me that the Arkansas men could legitimately score like five points in an NCAA meet. Well, John, John, you're too young to be like some of these old timers still think of Arkansas as like the UCLA basketball team of the 70s and McDonald, all this. And it's kind of amazing you said that because when McDonald first left, you'd see this Arkansas contingent and some were outraged essentially that you know anyone would come in and try to fill his shoes but you haven't heard much about it recently but for john to bring up that hot sports opinion interesting i mean it's not it, it they're not going they're not going to be close to winning that's a fact i mean they've still qualified people to meet but but have they been close to winning recently i mean uh i don't i haven't i wouldn't the last few years i'm not entirely but sure it's not, but to, to be fair to um chris bucknam i mean he's 
team's normally pretty good. It's harder now than when John McDonald was there. First of all, John McDonald was a legend, but let's be honest, like it's changed. It's harder. And it's not like they're not a good track team. I mean, they were second in the SEC meet with 88 points. So right. that's you, you need studs to win NCAAs. I don't right. think they have NCAAs is all about having one or two heavy hitters. Now, and that's why Wisconsin, I mean, Wisconsin, John, t- tell people, some people think they have a shot to win it. John does not. John's well, been in a war with yeah. some All right. Idiot so here we go. Sorry, what was that, Robert? I said John's been in a Twitter war with some idiot about this, but. Well, uh, are you calling Gordon Max some idiot? Because that's the guy who I was getting a disagreement was, with. Kidding, we love you. <laughs> but yeah, here's the thing. Flowtrack came out with their projected scores. They had 48 for Wisconsin. All right. Do you know how Wisconsin has to score, how they, their path to 48 points is? This is what Flowtrack mapped out. They're going to win the 5K, Morgan McDonald. Okay, I see that happening. He's the NCAA cross-country champ. Then they're going to win the DMR. All right. This, you know, they have the NCAA 1500 champion. It's not going to be easy. Ollie Hoare, he runs the mile prelims earlier that night on Friday. But winning the DMR, DMR could happen. It's not a given. So that gets them to 20. Then the next night, they would need Oliver Hoare to win the 1500. Again, he's probably he's the favorite there, but if he's doing the DMR the night you before. You mean the mile. Oh, sorry, the mile. Yeah, correct. Um, he's the favorite, but it's you know if he's doing the DMR, that becomes tougher. So all right, give them that. That gets them to 30. They still need to pick up 18 more points. So they need to have, essentially, they're projecting them to get some points in the deca- in the heptathlon that they're not projected to get on paper. And they're ha- saying that Morgan, Morgan McDonald and Oliver Hoare are going to get 2-3 in the 3,000. This is where I think it falls apart because Morgan McDonald, I think he'll probably finish first or second in the 3K because he's got Grant Fisher. So that gets them to 38, even assuming that they win all the other races beforehand, which is you know tough to do. Then Oliver Hoare, you're really telling me this guy who has never doubled at NCAAs before is going to run the mile prelim, qualify for the final, win the DMR on the anchor on Friday night. Even though Notre Dame's Nier Nagusi is going to be fresh and Nier Nagusi already beat out, kicked him at the qualifier. Correct. Then he's going to double back the next day, win the mile, and then he's going to double back from that on the same day, two hours later, and finish third in the DM- in the 3K. I'm sorry. That is just not happening. There's four races, three of them finals in the span of like 24 hours. That's just. That's so hard to do. I think they're underestimating. Like, all right, Edward Cheserek actually did do a similar double in 2015. He was he won the uh, DMR for Oregon on Friday night. Then he came back and won the mile, and he got second in the 3K. But Oliver Hoare is not Edward Cheserek. I'm sorry. And if he does that, I'll tip my cap. If Wisconsin wins, if they score 40 points or more and they win this meet, I think it's going to be one of the most impressive things we've ever seen at NCAA track. It would be two guys basically teaming up to win the NCAA title by themselves. But I just don't see it. it's too it's too hard even for these great Australian uh, guys Oliver Hoare and Morgan McDonald. Be like Alistair Craig and the Cumper jump, Jumpers doing it back in the day, right? It would bother me. They were only they were only third of the Big Ten meet. And they were only one point ahead of a tie for fourth, so they could have been three one two. Could have been fifth in the Big Ten meet. I'm not saying that they can't win. I think they could win. <laughs> Getting to forty is going to be difficult, but it's possible. It's depending on what the other schools do. Should there be a rule like you was, score 40 points, nobody wins? It's just like a my team point title was, vacated. 48? I mean, that's what flow track, that's their projection. That's not saying best case scenario. That's saying that's what they're going to do. I mean, it's just too aggressive. Is this, does this article have some sort of clickbaity headline, John? They're kind of known for some stuff like this. Or was it serious projection, 48 points? It was a serious projection. It wasn't like if everything breaks right, this is how many points they'll score. It's like according to our quote unquote algorithm, this is how many points they'll score. 
Okay, well, I wouldn't give it much credit. I don't think they're scoring 48 points from what you just went through. But if they do, John, what will you do? What's I mean, what should I what should I do? I feel like I'm not a re- I'm not a big cheese fan, so I might need to like eat you know cheese heads. I might need to eat like a cheese plate or something, or uh, you know, what are some a wheel of cheese or something? I don't know. That might be something. Do bad. Do we know is Wisconsin an Adidas school or Nike school? Under Armour school. Under Armour, baby. Baltimore proud, baby. By the way, let's give a shout out to Under Armour. <laughs> they are the sponsor of the BU Indoor Track. They made Yomif Kachelcha's world record possible. Baltimore, Baltimore is strong. Baltimore Under Armour. So they're Under Armour. So I was going to say, you know, maybe this guy. What do you mean they're the sponsor of the track? I was watching the video. I thought it was very funny. There was an Under Armour like logo everywhere. I know there's Under Armour logos because I live in Baltimore. I've but, been to that track like four times this year. I. I would have had no idea. They don't do enough good enough job advertising it if that was their idea. Under Armour, I'm still waiting for you to sponsor the UnderArmourElectron.com team. We will take on Jerry Schumacher's boys. We will take on the the, the Salazar boys. So uh, if they were Nike boys, I thought Salazar might be able to give give uh, Oliver Hoare a rub down between the races, the rub special from high school. Um, I mean, the, the Testo Boost, which is totally illegal. We all know. Maybe that could make the, the quadruple possible. But since they're under arm, I don't think that's likely. I'm excited. Look, if they go after it, I'm really excited to see them. Because what I love is these guys taking. I love athletes when they take on a lot of the NCAA champs when the studs so really try to go after Rupp, it. But didn't. Um, yeah, we haven't talked Ken- about Rupp enough on this podcast. No, so didn't the Kenyan from UTEP try something even crazier one year? Uh, maybe you're thinking of Lolly Lalang once entered the mile 3K and 5K. Yeah, and it didn't go so well, right? And so did Edward Cheserek. Edward Cheserek did that, and he Cheserek won the five k and the three k and got second in the mile. I mean, that was a that was damn impressive in twenty seventeen. Lowy Lelang tried it in twenty fourteen, and he got beat by Cheserek in the five k, and then got beat in the mile. He didn't even show up for the three k final. So John talked about the previews. We have the 800 mile previews up. No one could have read the DMR because I haven't put it up yet. I published it, but it's secretly on the down low. I wanted people to read your articles, John, before they, if they, if they knew that I had something out, they'd probably just, I'll rush to that. But in my preview, I talk about why every men's team won't win because I hate the DMR. So it was kind of interesting. John, John enjoyed it, right? My hatred of the DMR. But oh, it's great. Can- it just, it, it thought of, it made me think of Robert Johnson singing at a beer, sitting in a bar after a meet. He's got a beer in front of him and just shitting on everyone. And, uh, you know, Robert just taking the blowtorch to a bunch of 19 and 20 year old college kids. Um, no, I'm, I'm very excited, but they're not 19 and 20. John has written an excellent men's mile, women's mile preview. Well, then, no, but there's a sixth year identical twin from Michigan. She had not PR'd since high school until this year. She's never made NCAs. She enters NCAs as the number one seed in the mile. If this girl wins it, Chris Lear is going to get the movie rights. We're going to make a movie right now. Hannah Meyer from Michigan. Fabulous story. Read about her right now on, on the John. Great job to, to find that. John even found a picture of her from high school. I'm like, John, where did you find? Not that as creepy as it sounds. I swear. Yeah. We already had it in our you know in our database. He just went in the database and typed in her name. So. New Balance Nationals. She was, you know, she had a team there, so that was where the picture came from. Speaking of New Balance Nationals, that's this weekend as well. I actually will go to that probably for the first time just to see what a thing Mo, Mo, excuse me, can do at 800 meters. You might see a sub two by a high score. But speaking of 800, I think one thing about NCA. Well, can you have your wife? Can you record her? We need to get her on here. Maybe I should take her to the meet. 
But I don't have to pay like the 30 bucks for it to get in. So you think the army will let her in for free? Get her a media pass. I already submitted my pass. Steve Soprano's wife has asked questions. She's done interviews in the mix zone before. Like we think that we're like tough to be a journalist and you can train someone like 30 seconds. Like go ask that person. How do they feel? How does it feel to be a national champion? Like the sideline reporters, that's the dumbest questions. That's all you have to do is ask dumb questions. How do you feel about winning? Tell us about your race. Anyway, the, speaking of the 800, but at NCAAs, I think the Texas A&M team is pretty interesting. Yeah, what the hell is going on there? Sammy Watson just left in the middle of the year to turn pro. I mean, th- we did we talk about this when this happened, guys? She did sign with Adidas, but like she, she ran like... Time? She signed with Adidas, yeah. For how much? They didn't tell me. Who's her agent? Mark Wetmore's her agent. This stuff doesn't get publicized very much because I was thinking the same thing. Like, wait, she left college. Did she sign? Like, how come press releases aren't put out? But Sammy Watson was the world youth and world junior champion, I believe. And then went to Oregon last year. Texas A&M. Oregon. I mean, Oregon, excuse me. Texas A&M. I'm reading something else and it says Oregon's... One NCA, she did win outdoors, but didn't run that fast. Then this year, I think it only run about two oh six was her best time. And says, "Bye, I'm leaving. I'm going pro." I mean, she's fabulous talent. And then also at our, excuse me, Texas A and M, you have Devin Dixon, number one seed in the men's side, so he's going great. He's run one forty five two this year. Sammy Watson wasn't even the fastest girl at Texas A and M. You had Jasmine Frey, and she's the NCA record holder. I still believe indoors. Yep. She's only run, I think, 206 this year, 205. And she won SEC, so it's not going terrible, but she's only the 13th seed. And the coach, Aline Francique, left last year, middle of the year. This whole story of that has not come out. So it's just sort of interesting. Turmoil kind of on the women's side, but Devin Dixon's doing great. And this is all the school for some context where Donovan Brazier went and you know became a pro sensation as, after his freshman year. So... It's just pretty interesting. Like, I mean, now it's a completely different coach and it's still kind of going well on the men's side, not on the women's side. Maybe it is. Who knows? It's just kind of nuts. I'm not blaming a coach for Sammy Watson's trouble. Sammy Watson, didn't, she won World Juniors in 2017 or 2016. In 2018 this year, she didn't even make the final. I, I want to see a woman run well as a 19-year-old at a minimum before I offer them a pro contact. I would not have offered her a penny as an Adidas. I think that's a huge mistake. I think she, I, I don't want to write her off and say she's done, but we've seen so many teenagers do it. It would not surprise me. Now, maybe there's some excuse. Maybe Mark Wentworth knows why, but I, I guess there's so little money in the track. Like why not? You know, maybe she is the next, maybe you're going to put her in AG Wilson's group. think she's going to turn around, but Mary Kane certainly hasn't turned it around. Bizarre decision to me. If she wanted to go pro after she won NCAAs last year outdoors, it would have been fine. It would have made sense. But come back around 206, to me, is one of the dumbest. I mean, well, it might be smart from her standpoint if she got someone to pay her more than what her college scholarship's worth. Well, that's the other thing. I wonder, do you think, and I again, I don't have firsthand knowledge of this situation, but do you think it's a, tr- a case of like them looking at the situation, realizing she wasn't running that fast this year and saying, no, we, we, miss, we missed the boat at the end of 2018 outdoors. Now we should just try to grab whatever we can. I don't think any, I don't think a runner that's, that young and that talented thinks, oh, my career's over. I'm not going to mature. They always think, oh, if I work hard, I'll get it back together. No no woman thinks, oh, my body's changing. I'm going to suck for the rest of my life. I mean, I mean, I was emailing with the former high school stars. Like, oh, my college career wasn't very good. I'm like, it wasn't your fault. Your body changed. I don't know. I, I don't know, you know if that's the case with her, but and it was only one race. But 206 is really bad if you're a two-minute girl. 
and she runs some other races too, like on the relays and stuff that were like her quarter speed is like two seconds slower than what it was in high school. Like this isn't trending in the right direction. I would not be surprised if we never hear from her again. That is one thing that's different though. I mean, if you're a college athlete, you may not be in shape and you got to get ready to be in NCA. So the coach is like, Hey, you got to grace. You got to start getting in shape. And if you're a pro, you just don't race for a month. So as you said, she's super talented. You can't really write her off completely, but it's, it's one of the most unusual, probably the most unusual way I can think of somebody going pro, sort of middle of the season, sort of such a young phenom. Yeah, and that's one of the things I like about college is it forces people to get shape. People think it's it's bad and they have to race indoors, but it also help, helps keep people honest and fit in the winter. And sorry if I'm repeating myself, I know that probably thousands of people listen to this podcast, listen to my ESPN Plus broadcast of the Ivy League Track and Field Championships. So if you did listen to that you probably heard this before but i really like that cabot tolbert the harvard sprint coach who coaches um gabby thomas you know she's pro now she's still at harvard he's like look she comes to practice every day she does the exact same training she did last year he's like i'm not there's never it's never too early to run fast so i really liked hearing that from someone he's like all the sprinters blow off indoors he's like i don't know why they don't need to do that he's like worlds aren't until october what's wrong with her running fast now so very refreshing there love it we need to race more often. So should we make and see predictions? What are we going to predict? How about, all right, how about this? Grant Fish and Morgan McDonald. This is the re- race of the weekend. These two guys, every time they get together, it's fantastic. They battle it out. They went 1-2 in cross country at NCAAs. They went 1-2 at Milrose in the 3K. Fisher won the Milrose race. Grant, uh, Morgan McDonald won the cross country race. Which of these two wins on Saturday in the 3K and why? Can you help the uninformed? Will they both be fresh? McDonald will be in the DMR or both be in DMR? Back. So McDonald's running the 5K on Friday. Uh, Grant Fisher's anchoring Stanford's DMR. So they'll both have one final in their legs. I'm going McDonald. I'm going to go with Fisher because he beat him earlier in the year. And I already picked Stanford to win the DMR in my preview, which, I don't know. You know, when Rupp couldn't outkick anyone and all of a sudden he was amazing as a senior, I'm kind of thinking that's going to happen with Fisher this year. But, I mean, he did beat McDonald's in, in the Milrose, but i'm going mcdonald i think it's it's real close but watching that milrose race i just couldn't help but think but think if mcdonald got his tactics right he would have won he just kicked too late and fisher had the jump on him i think but it's tough what they're they're so close in ability that i think it's really whoever runs the smarter race is going to win whoever gets themselves to the lead and doesn't waste too much energy is that you know if you can get yourself to the lead smartly have the lead at 200 can be really tough to to pass on those indoor tracks so um i think i'm gonna go mcdonald but i think either way it should be fantastic yeah i agree i thought mcdonald's kick was better at melrose and fisher just had better position so i'm gonna go with the better kicker i think in general uh, i don't know why i just think of fisher as not being a guy who can change gears because he's done very well at 1500s and that sort of thing and at back tens but should be interesting We'll have to wait. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I really want to see. I know, you know, I, I know. I said I probably don't think they can do it, but if Wisconsin wins the NCAA's with basically, you know, they have a DM, they have a couple guys running the DMR and a couple heptathletes, but they'd basically be doing it with two guys, and I, I think that would just be really impressive. But they have to overcome Florida and Texas Tech. I'll be very impressed if McDonald runs the DMR and the five thousand the same day. It doesn't make sense. Why would you? You have the best miler in the country. Why would you put? mcdonald on it when he's got no, 20 minutes like, i mean they don't have it really is he going to make that much of a difference on a 1200 running 20 minutes after the 5k surely they have a better option 
I think he ran on their qualifying team. Say that again? I think he ran a leg on their qualifying team, right? He's listed. Right, but that doesn't mean he's going to run on, on Friday. All right, guys. Do we have any more NCAA thoughts, or should we just sort of rapid-fire, random, end of the podcast? A few other things to discuss. Yeah, move on. Lightning round this thing. Okay. John claimed, you already claimed to have a stat of the week, but this is my stat of the week. Did you guys know? You guys know this because somebody tweeted it out. Japan had more sub-209 marathoners last year, 10, than the U.S. has ever had, 9. I mean, that just is nuts. What? I mean, there, American marathoners, men, please get under 210. Somehow figured out. Japan had 10 people last year. We're a country of 300-plus million. We had, we've had 9 ever. It's crazy. Amazing stat find by John. John found that. Good job, John. Thank you. I mean, well, do you want to know what's also crazy is you just look at the results of last year's Tokyo Marathon by itself. How many guys do you think from Japan broke 210 in that race? I think it was nine, right? Correct. Wow. Wait, so Tokyo Marathon last year equaled America, the American history of sub-210 marathons. It's crazy. And then they had none this year, but that's because of the weather. Right. And, you know, you can say last year, Boston, the weather was bad. We had a lot of top Americans there. But I don't think if you put if you put all the the top Americans in Tokyo last year, I don't think you get nine guys sub 210. Right. And then what was the other stat? There's like there's only they've had seven or eight guys go sub 208 and only two guys have ever done it one more than once. Yeah, only two Japanese men have ever broken 208 twice. Suguro Osaka is one of them. And I think probably Seiko is the other, right? Right. But for just to just for some perspective you know america is much better at the mile than japan is and the 1500 as well because japan the japanese indoor record was broken earlier this year it was 356 and in the mile in boston you had you know six americans under 356 for the mile um including one at 349 and one at 350 so so you know they're just some different countries are better at different events i think japan if they put more efforts into the mile they'd have more guys under u.s though i'm I, you know people what do you think that, oh like oh this one country's great at this one country's great at that. i always don't know what the japanese think about the kenyans who are still the best runners on their teams to me guys sports gene japan is genetically better at running the marathon than americans who are genetically better at running the mile speaking of the mile and sub sub four do you guys realize how many Oregon runners have broken four this year? I mean, let's give a shout out to Oregon. Everyone's paying attention to them because they don't have any huge heavy hitters this year. But yeah, Belton, six guys. I was going to ask Belton. John, I was going to Oh, sorry. You. I ruined it. I mean, Weldon wasn't answering. So, How many are in the meet? Who's their best guy? Their best miler who's actually running the mile uh, at NCAAs is Charlie Hunter who has run 357. They've also got Reed Brown at 358 and Blake Caney at 358 as well. Then they have a couple other guys who are running the 3K, Cooper and James West. And I believe they have one more guy who has broken four, but he has not entered in either of those events. I mean, it's just, it's just a shout out to Ben Thomas, the new Oregon coach. He used to be at Virginia Tech. They were incredible there. So he's one of the top middle distance coaches in the country. Um, I want to everyone's bringing out their favorite thing of the week. Mine is really the end of an era for me. There's been a genetic DNA test invented that can tell identical twins apart. I'd always wondered my whole life if I could go on a crime spree and get away with it. 
And the answer was yes. Apparently, a lot of twins have done this. I was even reading this article in the New York Times, like like one percent of all crimes can be unsolved because a twin could always claim that his brother who lived in the same town did it. So, and also, folks, it's a good thing this wasn't in back, back in the day. Someone on the thread on this, there's a thread on this right now. Scientists have finally invented a DNA test that can tell identical twins apart. It only costs one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Someone said this would have been the end of Weldon's elite athlete career because Weldon was on obviously and a minimum blood transfusions, probably EPO. But he passed the test because they had me take them for him. John Kellogg did. Breaking so, news. Breaking news. You saw the... Now they could apparently, if they're willing to pay $130,000, figure out that it was me taking the test. So I can all recommend crimes. Oh, wow. I could have doped like, to the gill and just had you there and present ID and pee in the bottle for me? Apparently. Oh my gosh, we missed our opportunity. Robert, is your neighbor coming over today? It's it's about time for the Manchester United PSG game. Huge PSG. Oh wow, there's already a goal. Manchester United down 2-0 after the first leg. They're already up 1-0. Are you kidding? It's getting very excited. And it's in Paris. This is very interesting. Already scored in the first minute. Second minute, Romelu Lukaku. My neighbor's coming over at halftime. He has to take care of three children. Hopefully, hopefully he's okay. Keeps his head up. I didn't tape it, so I can't show him the goal. They have to win two. They have to win by two goals away from home. It would be a miracle, but uh, they're already halfway there. So if it's two two, though, what happens? They play two two. It goes to extra time. Wow, good thing I'm putting this on. Focus on this podcast. So do we need to talk about? In case you guys didn't know, we spend most of our time doing soccer. Our soccer websites. Or for NFL. If NFL's in season, you know it's Cowboys and Patriots. More Patriots because the Cowboys really haven't done anything for the last twenty years. But you know. Do we want to talk about Martina Navratilova and Paul Radko's comments about transgender? It's driving me nuts that people are calling these people transphobic now. Look, Martina nailed it this week. By definition, you have to exclude people if you're going to have women's sports at all. Do we let Caitlyn Jenner participate without hormone treatment? Obviously, that's not the same as Casper Semenya. But if you're going to have women's sports at all, you have to have limits. So we're not being bigoted. We're trying to protect women's sports. Some idiot on Let's Run had a thread. It's like, well, I figured out the way to do it. You just have one division, and you just, you know, the best people in the A League and the next people in the B League and the C League and D League, you get rid of women's sports together. It would work great for everybody. I'm like, that wouldn't work great for anyone because every single woman would lose their college scholarship. So I was like, no, Serena could still be a pro athlete. I'm like, no, she could not be. She could not be because there'd be more pros men coming in. Like the guy that's now 800th in the world who can't make a living doing it would come in and play tennis and beat Serena. So why would someone watch the D league? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It was a really dumb idea. I think that might work for recreational running. Like if you're transgender and you want to go to the recreational 5k, I don't give a shit. I'm fine with having the, 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 the bathroom that says any gender, like at the restaurant, I actually prefer that. I always go into the women's restroom at the restaurants because the lines are often shorter nowadays. <laughs> So, is that kosher though? <laughs> yeah, is, wait, Robert, are these bathrooms unoccupied when you're going in? That's what they you have to barge in. Well, all these places are sexist. They don't have changing tables for my son and the men, so I got to go in the women's. And you know, if you come out with a baby, no one's going to be like, "Oh, hey, you can't come in there." No, normally it's just like one stall, but there's a changing table. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't know, I thought you were going in and disrupting some woman was on the toilet seat, and you're just barging in and say, "Hey, I self-identify right now." That would be There's, abusing. It clearly has system. to be distinctions in sex for women's sport to exist. 
And also, I don't think I don't like it how people. Yeah, but people are winked at equate t- transgender with intersex. They're very different things. I, no, I for one am fine with hormone treatments being there for both. But the reason I wouldn't be against stopping uh, athletes who are born with the sexual sexually male being prevented from women's elite sport completely like, or professional Olympic because you have a better, better, bigger bone density, bigger structure. What if you're a seven foot basketball player and you decide to go female? So certain things can't change. So like a seven foot man, if he becomes a woman and takes hormones, he's still seven feet. So some, some people haven't th- thought through some of these things, but I'm fine. If, if but I'm not going to say someone's, I don't know what the word would be, like transphobic or whatever the alternative would be if they have a different opinion of me because they want to have hormonals cutoffs being the the boundary. Like, why do we have to make it a personal attack that you're against somebody, that you're a bigot, that we can't have some discussion? Let's just discuss what we want for sport and where we want it to be. You're cis-privileged. I am cis-privileged. But the reason why, yes, there's a huge difference between Castro Semenya who was born without a penis. So I can naturally understand why she identifies as a woman and Caitlyn Jenner. But the reason why they're being grouped together, and this is why I think it just really hurts Castro Semenya is because these idiots on the left, the social justice warriors, they say that Castro Semenya was, was had all these invasive tests to figure out if she's a woman. So if we're not going to have tests to figure out your sex and we have to take you at face value, then you have to group them the same because I'm not allowed to test. It's kind of like these, you know, when you go on a plane, they can't ask you if that's a service animal. Is that a service dog? Yes. And they can't ask you for proof. So it's like, oh, I have a seeing eye dog. Well, the dog looks like a 12-pound French bulldog. Yes, but it's a seeing eye dog. Shut up. So if you don't ask for proof, you have to treat them the same because you're not allowed to ask anyone any common sense questions. So anyways, it's so stupid. It drives me nuts. I'm going to go off on this. It's almost like a parody. You think that men haven't taken enough from women. Now we're going to take away their professional sports. But you think that it was like made up. Well, Castor like, All right. To clarify, Castor Semenya is not a man. She's not taking away. Like it, she's she is not taking this away from uh, women as a man. No, she would just be these transgender men are. Well, they're also not men. They're, I mean, they're transgender. These transgender women, women now are yes. But then I mean, they're not. It's not men taking it away. It's a. Someone who's but born biological, male. Excuse me. Biological males is the term we should use. There's a very big difference between a transgender person not undergoing hormone treatment who identifies as a woman and Castor Semenya. So grouping these things together is a disservice to Castor Semenya. She's in a very unfortunate situation. And not that, it, not that it's easy to be transgender either, but like the Connecticut high school thing is a complete joke. Oh, it's ridiculous. That yeah. That's what I'm my, talking about. Andrew, you know, and nowadays and on this stupid thread and let's run i mean apparently anyone can give a ted talk like you can have your own private ted talk and call it a ted talk i don't understand this but people are linking to some idiot on ted talks like you know if men and women were just put in the same category at a young age the women would rise up no they freaking wouldn't jenny simpson couldn't even make the high school nationals i don't care if she was competing against men her whole life she wouldn't be that much faster than she is now it's like these people are so dumb like i can try all i want to have a baby and it's never gonna happen Guess what? It's never going to happen. So can we can, can we just log off so I can go watch this soccer game and I'm acting like I care about it? It's the first time Robert's ever said that sentence. Can we log off so I can watch this soccer game? <laughs> All right. Well, no, I have one more. I have one more. We're already in tough territory because I'm sure someone will wordsmith what we said in 
call us bigots, but the sort of woke discussion of the week. John, I believe you have, well, previously would have said that you we, you have the major scalp of a athlete this weekend. Would you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. It's, you know, it's actually one of the first things I said. I was watching the mile um, with Kajelcha and Gregorica and I was watching with some of my high school, college teammates and after Johnny ran 349, I saw the scoreboard. I'm like, oh my God, he ran 349. And then I said to them, I have his scalp. Because I beat, jo- I raced against Johnny a couple times in high school and beat him. He obviously got a lot better since then. Um, and then we got this email to Steve Soprano from a Native American visitor. And he was saying that the use of the term scalp in the running context is offensive. And I think uh, most people, if you're, you know, f- listening to this podcast certainly you're familiar with the terminology i would say where if you beat another runner you can say oh i have his scalp and i never really thought much of it obviously the history it sounds fairly atrocious and i knew scalping was a practice where uh, they would have they would have rewards if you were to return uh, the scalp of a native american um but yeah i mean it just sounded like of the reader who emailed us was not happy with us using this misappropriating the time he was we're making light of the situation and uh, i guess i don't know what you guys thoughts are but uh, you know I, I i didn't really know where to stand i never thought of it as an offensive term but also i'm i never thought about it that deeply so maybe it is right taking the scalp of someone like literally is tremendously offensive you're killing the person and taking their scalp but then i sort of looked into the history of the word and so this Native American guy who wrote us, I guess, should we say self-identifying Native American? Uh, you know, with the Elizabeth Warren, you have to have the tribal roles. I don't know if DNA test. <laughs> Bad joke. Anyway, um, but the history of it is Native Americans used to s- scalp their own and scalp other people and present scalps as like a bounty. Right, it a, right. It was a sign of thing. And if you go, and it goes way back to Europe, people would scalp, medieval times would scalp. So scalping really should be offensive to everyone. This guy made it sound like, Oh, it's offensive to native Americans because at some point, some of the colonial governments would pay specifically for native American scalps. But prior to that, native Americans were scalping. And, you know, I read some story about this guy who was this native American leader who was like met some of these Westerners and he showed off all his scalps. Like, Hey man, I'm a big dude. Look, look what I got going here. So yeah, I don't think it's it's, it's in there, you know, it's, Scalping the the process is offensive. I don't see why the term is more offensive to Native Americans than, than anyone else. Like that just shows people can take offense to any term. Like right because this was a practice that Native American people tried. So at first I was totally I'm like oh my gosh yes this practice of because they did it to Native Americans it's terribly offensive. And then once I read more up on it I'm like wait Native Americans used to do this as well. Everyone used to do it back in the day. So why is it more offensive to one group in general? It, it's sort of just nomenclature now and i think we probably i don't know i guess now i don't want to be a dick so i'll think twice about using it but it's so commonly you be used in running yeah i don't want to be a dick either i felt bad for him but i don't know another way to use it you're gonna say I, I, the transitive property like we need to make another term like yeah so let's run visitors come up with another term so we can say he took the scalp of so-and-so what, what's the, we need a new term Kind of like a Eskimo Brothers, but for running. That's offensive to Eskimos. Oh shit! 
Yeah, make sure it doesn't. You got to thoroughly research this word we choose so that no one, uh, no one comes out and tells us we can't use it. That's what we need for the week. We need some visitors to. Re- When's our next race? I guess NCA indoors. We need some visitors to record their significant others watching the trap meet, get some reactions, get the permission. We'll use the audio. Yeah, how do we know they have permission though? Like we don't want them secretly recording. They them. ask. That's significant. They ask, they tell us. Robert. We need the consent on tape. It's kind of like sex nowadays. You have to have the consent. You mean on tape? That was the joke. You always have had, had consent. <laughs> but yes, get that. By the way. I think the in-laws and relative test is good. Like my mother-in-law sent me an article on the sprinters in Connecticut. She lives in Connecticut. And she's like, what do you think of this? So, you know, when, when running goes over to mainstream people, that's when we're actually successful. Okay. Speaking of which, I, I want to talk about the Connecticut. I forgot about this. Can I do my WhatsApp message of the week? Go ahead. So I received an email this week from a very good friend of mine. She's worked as a speechwriter for a woman that has run for president of the United States before. Liberal woman. And it was about the Connecticut Sprinters. She's like, is this really happening? Are you on this? Let's run. And she didn't believe it. Didn't believe what? She just didn't believe that they were letting biological men run in women's sports without hormones in Connecticut. She couldn't believe that. And she wrote, aren't there a bunch of other things besides hormones that affect athletic performance? Like women don't have dramatically less lung capacity. Then she even went into, is let's run engaged on this? This is absurd. Let them compete as a separate group. If you develop, She's even opposed to letting them compete after hormone treatment. This is someone who was a runner in college who is very liberal, who had never heard about this. A speechwriter for Hillary Clinton at one point. I didn't say Hillary Clinton, but now it's exposed. If you develop as a male and then switch, you are not the same. And that, that's BS about size not mattering in sports. It matters in most sports. And what about the I agree. I think for basketball and stuff. What about the long capacity to. things? And then she even went farther, which a man could never say this. And they also don't have a menstrual cycle. And it's got to be a disadvantage. Most people who menstruate don't feel well for a day or two over the month. And I said, well, yes, but there's some people, you know, the Castor Semenya, it's complicated because she's intersex and XY but has no penis. She wrote, yes, there are going to be some complex cases. But the males to change, who've changed to female still have huge male lung capacity, height, and accrued muscle mass, and no menses. It's a pretty straightforward av- message, straightforward advantage. I think we're overcomplicating things 99.99% of the time. What it says in the birth certificate should be used. And if you're competing at the Olympics or something fine, look for those rare cases where people intersex. That would be complicated to decide. If they want to call themselves female outside of sports or attempting to get pregnant, go ahead. So that's a great line. She's like, I like to see them try to get pregnant. So I guess I really resent men. I get irate on this topic of men outwomening women at being sexy, competing in sports, and dominating in traditional female domains like childbirth, male obstetricians, and husbands-led childbirth coaching. What the fuck? Also, breastfeeding. One of the most famous experts is male. Give me a break. And child rearing. Yeah, as men stand around watching women doing the work and then sell books drawn from watching expert women. What's left for women to lead in? All right. Sounds like we're going way off the rails here. I think yes. it's about time to this end it. This is good. This is what we need. Hour two should be political. Some idiot liberal. This is a smart liberal. Robert calls, other Robert calls people who doesn't like idiots and whatnot. Yeah. Like, Am I a smart like liberal, Robert? A, what that's I? like calling someone yes. a racist. You agree with me? You're smart. Martina Navratilova and I are buds. At least on this topic.
I think hour two from now on, or hour three, will be solo oh, God. political talk. Please don't let that be an hour three. <laughs> Our web developer, Eric, is in Iowa. We have boots on the ground there for the caucuses. Eric was an early supporter of Bernie Sanders last time, so we'll, we'll have breaking stories from Iowa coming next week. We're going to lose all our conservative viewers. Well, sh- don't worry. They're on the message boards, apparently. People think it's like, I don't know, BreitbartJr.com. Speaking of Breitbart, what happened to that guy, Steve Bannon? That guy played his cards wrong. He got too close to Donald Trump. Anyone who sticks too close to Donald Trump is eventually going to be fired or dismissed. That's how it works. But I thought he th- I think he thought he could left and like be this bigwig, and now no one gives a shit about who he is. All right. Do we have any more running things to discuss? Oh, I just want to brag about Let's Run.com. If you have any problems about what we're saying or the website in general, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can reach a real human being called 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. I've been trying to get in touch with Facebook to complain about something for years, and it's not possible to do. Amazon at least lets you call them. Facebook and Twitter suck. So, folks, don't compare us to them. You can reach a real human being. Yes, you can push our numbers to have her ring our phones, or you can push option, I think, seven to leave audio for the podcast. Is that correct, Robert? Option seven? Yes. Women, we want to hear from your male husbands that don't run. We want to hear them listening to Dan Sammy. Also, if we have any spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends of elite runners who don't run, I think you guys should be a guest on the podcast. We'd love to hear your perspective, what it's like to date, be married to an elite runner. If you want to do that, you can email us. You can email We have a new email address, actually. Podcast at letsrun.com. I'm impressed. Well, then. We discussed a couple of the top threads of the week. But Robert's breaking investigation of Brie Manziel will have to be resolved next week. There's been no resolution. I'm sorry for people who have been listening for the last... I don't know, probably going to be in 90 minutes or so once this thing is all said and done. Yeah, we'll have a special emergency Brie Manziel podcast. Yes, we'll have a bonus podcast when, when that finishes. But the top thread of the last week, over the crazier genius Alberto Salazar says Kajelcha is going for both world records. The number one thread of the week, Johnny Manziel's wife says she ran a two-hour half with no prep. So, John, once again, you missed the top story. The number three thread actually was what the heck is on the neck of the Japanese top finisher in Tokyo. I suggested that. Oh, and number four, we did miss it. We didn't discuss this one. Jert, I don't know how to say his name. The Jert Ingerbinson, the father, is irate that Philip was DQ'd from European indoors, vows to get revenge on European athletics. I mean, vows to get revenge? That sounds so like sinister. What like, does he mean like, by that? John and I like that. What does he mean by that? And A, he was totally wrong. That was an obvious DQ. Yeah, no no doubt uh, he was he was wrong. It was a DQ. It was legit. That's pretty much all you have to say about that. But I would love to know what his plans for revenge are. I think maybe that's sort of English translation. Like he wants to, he'll get back at them, you know? Like oh, I thought he meant like we won't run Europeans in the future. I thought it meant he'd like do violence to somebody. I mean, I, just the word has so many different connotations. And then also, in case you guys didn't know, remember Mr. Badass who killed a mountain lion with his bare hands. He killed a runt kitten, according to Poster on Let's Run. So only in Let's Run can you be attacked by like a 35-pound mountain lion, and people in Let's Run are not impressed by that. And fight it off and kill it with your own bare hands. And it's just like a That's whatever. Let's Run message board in a nutshell right there. Well, when I read r- runt kitten, I thought it meant like it was a household cat. 
That's what I thought, but it's a 35 pound mountain lion, I think, or 30 pounds or something. And the, but the thread of the week that wasn't the most popular, but the one that has the secret discussion of the track, we'll put it at the bottom of the show notes. We need to re- retitle it, but now we'll have to keep it like this at least for a little while until our article comes out. It's just called Gregoric Holy Smokes. And it's got this fascinating discussion of like the optimal banking of a track and then the wood surface under the track versus the steel surface. It's fascinating. But guys, any any final words? I guess not. All right. It's Manchester United 1, PSG 1. Until next week, this is Weldon Johnson signing off for Let's Run.com. If you've got any user audio for the podcast, be sure to call 844-538-7786. That's 844-LET'S-RUN and hit option 7. Or shoot us an email at podcast at letsrun.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by Floyd's of Leadville. If you haven't tried CBD products for recovery yet, you need to go to floydsofleadville.com and use code LRMAR to save 10% off your first order. Floyd's has certified organic CBD products and shares its testing results on its website. Use code LRMAR, that's M-A-R as in March, to save 10% off.